May the peace of Christ be with you all. And the Word became flesh. The Word that was in the beginning. The Word that was with God. The Word that was God. The Word through whom all things came into being. The Word that was the light of all peoples. The Word that is a light which darkness cannot overcome. This is the word that became flesh. The word that was God. God became flesh. Today we have gathered to celebrate this moment. This moment that changed everything in the world and it seems almost nobody knew it. This story from John is my favorite Christmas story in the Bible. John cannot be bothered with trying to piece together whether Matthew was right and Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a house, or if Luke was right and Jesus was born in a barn in Nazareth. John is not concerned with wise people and their gifts, nor shepherds and songs. John gets right down to it, channeling the first words written in Genesis, the first book of the Torah, the sacred scriptures of the Jews, which was, of course, the religion of Jesus and his parents. John begins his gospel with these famous words of creation, immediately pulling our consciousness back to the beginning, linking the word that was in the beginning with the words spoken by God in creation. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. John brings the full force of the significance of the moment to bear. He does not bother with seemingly trivial details. He doesn't just skip the birth altogether like Mark, but he wants to communicate the theological significance of the moment. And the word became flesh, he says. To read this beautiful introduction in John all by itself, one might get the idea that somehow Jesus' birth was a large and celebrated event, on par with the upcoming coronation of the King of England, television crews standing by, the paparazzi close at hand vying to get that first picture of the baby Jesus, the mothers of Mary and Joseph, having a nice-off over which would hold Jesus first and for how long. But thanks to Matthew and Luke, we do have some details. And we know that this single birth of cosmic proportions and significance was small and normal. Of course, it's not just Matthew and Luke that we have to thank we can also thank every nativity scene everywhere. They all feature approximately the same cast of characters. 
You know them, I'm sure they're in your home. Mary, Joseph, the baby Jesus, three wise people, a variable number of shepherds, some animals, and a star. The stories around how the Magi and the shepherds arrived to bring gifts and greetings to Jesus are nothing short of hallmark-level spectacular. The story of Herod's massacre, a clear parallel to the tenth plague in Exodus 12, is equally devastating. And yet, there is also a sense in which the birth of Jesus was otherwise unremarkable. John tells us that the Word became flesh. Matthew tells us he was born in a house. And Luke tells us he was placed in a feeding trough. There was no medical team standing by. There were no sonograms, blood tests, or epidurals. It happened just the way ordinary births happen for ordinary folk. Young Mary gave birth to Jesus. And then, after all the exciting details of the buildup and aftermath in Matthew and Luke, and even with the cosmic introduction in John, outside of just one story about Jesus going to temple as an adolescent, the Gospels are silent on the next 30 or so years of the life of Jesus. This silence should not surprise us, at least not any more than the relative silence of the Gospels on the last one to three years of the life of Jesus. It is the nature of storytelling to highlight the parts of the story that are either interesting or contribute to the overarching narrative or both. John tells us the word became flesh. We get these little snippets of the story from Matthew and Luke. They take up a page, maybe two. And we have John pulling all of the grandeur from Matthew and Luke, making a sweeping theological statement that the word became flesh. Somehow I find myself thinking questioning all of these unwritten details. Why Mary? Why Joseph? After Mary hears the proclamation from the angel and after Joseph's dream, why do they still have such apparently modest accommodations? Why the long silence on the infancy, childhood, adolescence, and young adulthood of Jesus? There must be something to the silence. The most obvious answer, of course, is that these details were unremarkable, not interesting enough to put in the story. The same way that if you were telling someone from Northminster about the Christmas Eve service last night, you might not describe the color of the carpet you might not talk about the position of the organ pipes. 
You might not talk about the smell of the air in the narthex. These details fade into the background, not because they are unimportant to the service, but because to describe them to someone who has spent a lot of time at Northminster would feel unnecessary and run the risk of your story becoming boring. The truth is, these questions that swim in my mind cannot be answered, at least not at present. There's no way to know with certainty the answers to any of them, and while admittedly failing to satisfy my curiosity, there is comfort in not knowing. In many ways, what we do know about Mary and Joseph parallels those storied places in our lives that we love so much. We don't know why Mary or Joseph. All we know is that Mary and Joseph lived their unremarkable lives in such a way that Mary found favor with God. And God knew Joseph to be one who would trust an appearance of an angel in a dream. That might not seem like a lot. But it says to me that what has gone unseen because of its unremarkability has created lives that are truly remarkable. When I think about this place, Northminster, and the things that make it remarkable, I know that it is the things that are unseen, the things that might not in and of themselves be noteworthy for a single story, are the things that accumulate to make it what it is. We gather here in this space on a weekly basis, and we regularly tell of the great music in worship. What doesn't make it into the story, often, are the hours upon hours of commitment and the practice of the choir. Nor does the lifelong dedication to their craft of the musicians. When we talk about the community of Northminster, we note the ways that support is given and received. But what sometimes goes unseen are the Monday morning gatherings of folk to share what they know, the prayers offered throughout the week, the cards and meals prepared and delivered. Unseen in this space this morning and every time we worship, are the hands that hold and receive the youngest in our community while we are gathered here. Unseen in this space are those who join us virtually each week, faithfully journeying with us even when they cannot be in the room with us. There are more than 30 committees that undergird the shared life of this community. Each committee practicing, performing important functions, often in the background. A few people gathered around a table, or on a Zoom call, or in an otherwise vacant room of the church. Individual meetings, unremarkable, but making this place, this community, into the place we know and love. Similarly, I think it was the unmentioned parts of the lives of Mary and Joseph that prepared them to be the kind of people in whom God would find favor 
and entrust with the awesome task of parenting the Christ child. The silence around the life of that same Christ child, growing and becoming an adult, about whom we read about in 84 of the 89 chapters of the combined four Gospels, we can assume exists as a result of it having a similar unremarkable nature as the lives of Mary and Joseph. Following the birth of Jesus, his life became the sum of its parts, each day slowly forming him, shaping him into the adult he would become, the adult who would, at the age of about 30, step off into the waters of baptism and begin his short but powerful ministry, a ministry that would culminate with his execution and resurrection. With the newborn baby Jesus, on this holy day in the church year, we sit and we celebrate. And from here, we re-enter a world which it is the routine, mundane, everyday goings about of our lives that will continue to form each of us into the person we are becoming. And the same is true for Northminster. In order for Northminster to continue to be the kind of remarkable place that it has been in each of our lives, it will require that each of us engage in the unseen, behind-the-scenes, mundane work of growing into the body of Christ. Sometimes, the connections between the little things we do and the way it contributes to making this place remarkable are obvious, like when there is a gathering to make palm crosses the week before Palm Sunday. And sometimes the connection is more behind the scenes, like the months the Finance Committee spends working putting together the budget. The truth is, all of us, each of us have something to contribute, and much of it will be in a small group out of the spotlight in a way that few will notice immediately, if at all. But that is not the only truth. It is also true that it is these very con contributions to this community that are shaping and forming Northminster into the place it is becoming. Each of us finding a way to use our talents, our time, and our resources each of us responsible for embodying the word in the world today. And the word became flesh. Amen.